Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On the morning of September the 27th, 2020, an armed conflict began on the Nagorno-Karabakh line of contact. After a long hiatus on informative episodes, I wanted to publish this because it is incredibly topical and the country in question has just entered a state of war. The country has always been at loggerheads with Azerbaijan and Turkey and was the unfortunate victim of a genocide at the hands of the Ottoman Empire in the early 20th century. The region of Nagorno-Karabakh has always been a disputed territory on the border of this country and in the past month, debts have been mounting. So in this episode, let's take a look at the strained history of this landlocked country in West Asia. This is about Armenia. Armenia is bordered by Turkey to the west and Georgia to the north. It has the de facto independent Republic of Artsakh and Azerbaijan to the east, and Iran and the Azerbaijani exclave Nakhchivan to the south. The earliest signs of human inhabitation in and around the Armenian plateau indicate the presence of hunter-gatherers around 50,000 years ago, as there has been the discovery of remains of a 48,000-year-old human heart and a similarly aged cranial fragment. After the Ice Age, around 10,000 years ago, there are signs that societies on the Armenian plateau discovered how to make a fire. The caves these groups used as campsites eventually became primitive residences and have hosted a plethora of archaeological evidence of the plateau. The Ice Age gave way to the Stone Age and stone instruments have been dated to around this period, with people using flexible plants to make bows and arrows stone to make axes, and clay for houseware. The plateau is said to have housed the Shulaveri Shomu culture, carbon dated to between 6000 and 4000 BCE. Excavations in the Armenian highland have led to the discovery of the world's earliest known winemaking factory dated to around 4000 BCE, straw skirt from around 3900 BCE, and leather shoe from around 3500 BCE. By the end of the 4th millennia BCE, Primitive tribal societies phased into more sophisticated cultures as they gave way to Bronze Age societies. The Kura Araxis culture occupied the Ararat plain on the Armenian plateau from 4000 to 2200 BCE and spread its territory into modern-day Georgia. From 2200 to 1600 BCE, the Hayasa, Uruatori, and Trialeti Vanadzor tribal unions, among several others, spread through the Armenian highland. In this millennium, the Armenian people had reached a stage of state formation and other tribal unions began appearing on the plateau. Their emergence and growth were a result of both socio-economic progress 
and an increasing need for self-defense against the expanding Assyrian and Hittite societies. The plateau housed several cultures and societies, all of which played a role in Armenian ethnogenesis. The weakening of the Hittite kingdom on the border of ancient Armenia around 13th century BCE relieved the external security needs that had expedited state formation. But on the frontier with the Assyrian Empire, the international threat kept growing. This led to a unification of the myriad tribes that existed on the plateau around the Hayasa tribal union in around the 9th century BCE. Around the 6th century BCE, official chronicles began referring to the land as Armenia. The ethnogenesis of this culture led to the Armenian language, a descendant of the Proto-Indo-European which took the fore in this amalgamation of cultures. Curiously, Armenians still refer to their own country as Hayastan, and the name Armenia was endowed by their southern neighbours who interacted with the Arme tribe of the south. Ancient Armenia covered approximately 300,000 square kilometres of land, centred around the Armenian plateau. The state was divided into 15 semi-autonomous provinces. For context, modern-day Armenia only covers a land area of around 30,000 square kilometres, which is barely one-tenth the size of ancient Armenia. The 15 autonomous provinces comprise Armenia Major. There was a second territorial component of the state called Armenia Minor, which comprised provinces west of the upper Euphrates River and south of the eastern Pontic Mountains. I will reference these two territories at points across the episode, so it's worth keeping in mind that the divide exists although ancient Armenia was composed of both Armenia Major and Armenia Minor. The earliest rulers included Arame and Sarduri I, followed by Ishpuini I and Menua, and this period is called the Van Kingdom. Across the 9th and the 10th century BCE, these rulers neutralized the Assyrian threat to the south and expanded the Armenian Empire west and north. The Van Kingdom's presence peaked in the 8th century BCE, as King Argishti founded the city fortress of Erebuni within the capital city of Yerevan. Texts left behind by Van kings have been uncovered in modern-day Armenia, Turkey, and Azerbaijan. And the state was an absolute monarchy, with a powerful and organized military to supplement their economic base of sophisticated agricultural practices and farming methods. The Van Empire sadly did not last too long and began deteriorating in the 7th century BCE due to continual external aggression. In 585 BCE, this gave way to the Median Kingdom. The role of the Van Kingdom should not be understated, as it has an incredible cultural history and played a critical role in the ethnogenesis of the Armenian language, the people, and the state. But I won't belabor you with the details, although I do encourage you to look it up if ancient historic civilizations are of interest to you. The Medes, who overthrew the Vans, helped Armenians develop the Orontid dynasty. The dynasty was founded by the ruler Yarvand, who succeeded in uniting some small tribes in the post-Van Plateau, and the Indo-European Armenian language became the most commonly spoken language in the area. The empire, though, was forced to accept suzerainty under the Median Empire. In 550 BCE, the Persian Archaemenid dynasty overthrew the Median Empire, and the Yervanduni kingdom was subordinated to the Archaemenid Empire. Persian subordination of Armenia continued till 331 BCE, when Alexander the Great invaded Asia Minor and fought the Battle of Gogamela to subsequently conquer the Persian state. 
The Persian influence on Armenia is a continuing motif and we will come back to it time and time again in this episode. After the succession of the Hellenistic era following Alexander the Great's victory over Persia, Armenia de facto freed itself and gained independence. After Alexander's death in 323, his empire was broken up into smaller Hellenistic kingdoms. Armenia fell under the largest of these, called the Seleucid state. The Seleucids tried dividing Armenia to prevent any consolidation of power and succeeded in dividing Armenia Minor from Armenia Major. Fast forward another few centuries until 190 BCE, when Roman legions defeated the Seleucid Empire in the Battle of Magnesia. The ruler of Armenia, Artashis I, subsequently declared independence for Armenia Major. He carried out a series of land and economic reforms, along with founding a new capital city in Artashat. Artashis was succeeded by his sons, of whom Artavas I ruled from 165 to 131 BCE, and Tigran I ruled from 130 to 95 BCE. Tigran I was succeeded by Tigran II, who ruled for another 40 years, under whose rule Armenia reached the height of its political power. This was as under Tigran II, the Armenian lands were reunited, trade was developed, and the capital shifted to Tigranakert. The expanding Armenian Empire was seen as a threat to the Roman Empire, who launched an offensive at Mithridates and in 69 BCE laid siege to Tigranakert. Tigran's army lost the war and the Romans pillaged Tigranakert and the Romans moved further into Armenian territory. The year after, when they tried capturing Artashat, they were handed a defeat by Tigran's troops. This forced the Romans to leave Armenia temporarily. The Roman-Armenian tensions continued for another two years and were finally concluded with the Treaty of Artashat in 66 BCE, when Armenia was declared an ally of the Roman Empire. After Tigran II, the status of Armenia as a continental power persevered for a few decades until it temporarily fell to the Roman Empire in 34 BCE. It then regained its independence in 30 BCE. The Artashasian dynasty did not last long after though, and it ended with the death of Tigran IV in the year 1 CE. Rome and Parthia were in constant struggle to establish control on Armenia around the time. The next 100 years involved constant conflict between the two empires, but in 66 CE, Tridat I, brother of Parthian ruler, was recognized by Rome as the king of Armenia. His rule initiated the rule of the Arshakuni royal family, who stayed in power for the next 200 or so years. Their reign slowly gave rise to a feudal system in Armenia, as domestic trade sharply declined and the minting of Armenian money was stopped. The power of the king gradually weakened in this feudal structure, as each landowner held legal and monetary ownership of their property, and while the king was the largest landowner, his power waned over time. By the end of the 3rd century current era, Armenia entered a period of peaceful development as Rome recognized its independence. Christianity was declared the state religion as Armenia became the first Christian state in the world in 301 CE. The 4th century saw increased feudal fragmentation as large landlords gained greater independence from central power. Later in that century, central power disintegrated and Armenia was partitioned between Persia and Rome. Formally though, both parts were still ruled by kings of the Arshakuni family, but real power was held in the seats of Persia and Rome. 
the Armenian alphabet was created soon after this partition. In 428 CE, the king's rule was abolished in the Persian-controlled territories of Armenia, and Armenia became a province of the Persian Empire. The following century and a half were characterized by revolts against Persian authority. Between 481 and 484, the Armenians revolted against the forced Zoroastrianism and managed to both protect their faith and regain some degree of self-rule from the Persians. Armenia still though did remain partitioned between Persia and the Byzantine Empire. There were a few reforms that were implemented by Emperor Justinian in 527 CE, which included jurisdictional and administrative reorganization, along with changes in inheritance laws such that Armenian women could transfer property to their Roman husbands. As a result, Byzantium had a much stronger hold of large swaths of Armenian land, but it still wanted to take over the rest of Armenia. This led to a brief conflict and a second partition, where Armenia was divided equally between Byzantium and Persia in 591 CE. In the early 7th century, another player entered the fray with the establishment of the Arab Caliphate. The Arab Caliphate quickly overthrew the Persian Empire, and the Caliphate then provided aid to Armenia as it tried to resist the Byzantine Empire. As a result, Armenia managed to retain independent rule till the late 7th century BCE. Following this, the Arab Caliphate prevailed over Byzantium and then invaded their ex-allies in Armenia in the early 8th century. The Armenians were of course used to mounting resistances against foreign imposed rules by now and did not sit and take the Arab imposition quietly. They launched a liberation struggle both in 748 and 774, with the former being quashed but the latter scoring a small but significant victory. Nearly a hundred years later, in 850, a large anti-Arab uprising took place. A strange political state ensued, where Arab armies devastated some cities in Armenia, while others that were controlled by the liberation movement managed to ensure a degree of socio-economic development. Armenia finally managed to regain its independence in 869 CE, when the Arab Caliphate recognized King Ashot Bagratuni as King of Armenia. Over the next two centuries, Armenia experienced a period of political and economic growth under the Bagratuni Empire. The city of Ani was built and declared the new capital of Armenia in 961. Society then was structured as a canonical monarchy, with the monarch's house being a hereditary institution, and this era saw the revival of the Armenian legal system. Along with the legal system, this era also saw an economic expansion beyond agriculture as manufactured goods and mercantile classes began taking a share of control on commerce and wealth. This was accompanied by rapid urbanization and expansion in internal and external trade within the country of Armenia. The Bagratuni Empire's powers began to dwindle across the 10th and 11th century, and in the 11th century, Turkic Seljuk tribes from Central Asia led regular incursions into Armenia, causing the destruction of several Armenian cities. In 1071, a decisive battle in Mazarskert resulted in the Seljuks capturing Asia Minor, and while their empire included Armenia, a few small independent kingdoms persisted in the country. Over the next hundred years, Prince Rubin captured a few fortresses in Cilicia and his successors began to unify the Armenian principalities in Cilicia. Levon II Rubinian took charge of the United Principalities in 1187 
and in 1197, he was recognized as the king of the Cilician Armenian Empire by the Holy Roman Empire. This was, of course, a hundred years after Turkic Seljuk tribes ruined most of central Armenia. By the 12th century, the Seljuk Empire had also begun to disintegrate, and Zakarian princes had taken control of parts of Armenia Major. In the middle of the 13th century, Mongol Tartars conquered Armenia and the Cilician Armenian Kingdom formed an alliance with the Tartars as they were surrounded by hostile Muslim states. Cilicia thus became a major transit hub on the Great Silk Road, which saw Cilician Armenia enjoy a brief stint of both political sovereignty and economic development. Through the 14th century, the Cilician Armenian state was under constant attack by Egyptian Mamluks and the position of the Cilician king began to deteriorate. There was a lack of cohesiveness among the Armenian nobility, which hastened the Mamluks' capture of the Armenian state. In 1374, the Armenian Empire fell and would not regain its statehood for the next 500 years. I'm going to fast forward a bit through the next five centuries, and might do a separate episode later to cover the missing details. The non-Cilician parts of Armenia were under Mongol rule, which later fell to Turkic tribes in the 14th century. Constant wars over the 14th and the 15th centuries ruined the country. In 1555, as a result of a war between the Ottoman Turkish Empire and the Persian Empire centered in Iran, Armenia was partitioned for a third time, dividing Armenia between the warring parties. There was a lot more fighting and a second peace treaty came 70 years later between the Ottoman Empire and Persia, and then third one in 1639, resulting in the fourth partition of Armenia. In the 17th and 18th century, the Ottomans and Persians maintained a degree of peace, which allowed the Armenian principalities to rebuild agricultural capital and once again engage in trade and craftsmanship. Small pockets of remote, independent regimes still existed in Armenia, including in Artsakh, Gardman, and Sunik in the east, and Zeytun, Sasun, Shatak, and Taron in the west. Across the 17th century, Armenian envoys tried to ask for help from European powers to liberate themselves from Turkish and Persian rulers, but were unsuccessful in attaining any Israel help. Ori, a prominent leader of the movement, turned By to the, the Russian Tsar Peter the First. The economies of both the Ottoman and the Persian empires had begun to decline. Russian support this led to Armenians. large tax hikes, leading to large chunks of the rural Peter Armenian the first population migrating and settling in urban centers and for want to annex Transcaucasia to Russia and captured an increase in the strength of the this Armenian move inspired the Georgians and Armenians and troops of Armenian Meleks joined Georgian troops, but the campaign was delayed by the Tsar. Simultaneously, the Persian Empire was also leading aggressions against the Turkish Empire under the leadership of Nadir Khan, and in 1736, Nadir was declared the Shah of Persia and granted some autonomous rights and privileges to the five Armenian Meleks in Karabakh. This initial victory spurred the liberation movement through the second half of the 18th century, and the process of consolidating a global Armenian bourgeoisie was underway, especially in Armenian communities in Russia and India. The diaspora was interested in establishing an independent state to engage in free economic activity, and had at its forefront Joseph Emin and Shahamir Shahamirian from India and Mofsiz Sarafian in Russia. 
Georgia, meanwhile, had been bought under the mandate of Russia, which meant that Turkish and Persian forces in the region were becoming increasingly wary of both Russia and Armenia. Through the 19th century, there were a number of wars fought in the region, which I will cover in more detail in the next episode. It should, though, already be clear to you that there exists a long and complicated history between Armenia, Russia, Turkey, and Persia, and we'll unpack the contemporary implications of that history in the next episode, starting with the first Russo-Persian War of 1804. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and please do follow or subscribe and tell your friends about the show. See you next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.